entrepreneurship and the pursuit of greatness. I'm Tim Lovell, along with my good friend, dear buddy, Dwayne Mathis. Dwayne, how you doing today, buddy? We're back. We are back. I'm doing outstanding. Glad to finally, uh, you know, shake off the rust and and uh, get back at this and and have a great conversation about something that we are both very passionate about. Yeah. So. 995 days. You heard me. I just had to ask Siri before we got on to and hit record since our last podcast during, you know, really the COVID season with Carl Frichty from Minnesota. What do you think about that? Well, number one, it's just insane that um, it's been that long since um, we've had that, you know, these types of conversations. It doesn't seem like it's been that long ago because there are times when I myself go back and and listen to a lot of the great uh, people that we've had the opportunity to sit down and, and talk with and and just kind of refresh my memory of things that uh, other people had to say, whether it be, you know, uh, my good friend, Frank Howell, who's no longer no longer with us, you know, passed away due to cancer, um, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Wilson, um, you know, Kurt Ritchie, you know, many of the great uh, coaches that we've had the opportunity to sit down and, and have a conversation with. Yeah. So we're going to talk about something that really affected both of us after COVID. Um, we both had what I would call successful seasons in 2020, maybe wasn't necessarily record wise, but we both finished those seasons really well. Uh, for me, I got COVID at the end of 2020 football season. I was home for two weeks and lo and behold, I get a call that, Hey, um, the town or the school that you used to coach for is interested in bringing you back. Do you have any interest? And uh, what a what a change of events that was unexpected for me. Um, I won't go into all the details, but you know, where are you now since COVID hit? Well, the year that uh, COVID hit was actually kind of a crazy year for me. I I was uh, living in Des Moines at that time, but uh, commuting back and forth to. Greenfield, Iowa, where Nottaway Valley was located at. And I think one of our our podcasts, we talk about that process of uh, me transitioning, you know, through the middle of of COVID uh, into summer workouts. And we were able to do some things. Uh, you guys uh, over in the eastern part of the state necessarily weren't able to quite yet. Uh, but after that, uh, had the opportunity, um, you know, to have a very like you mentioned earlier, um, successful end of the season. We made it to the quarterfinals. Uh, we're able to um, manage to beat uh, our district cha- champions that year, 26 to nothing in the second round of the playoffs. Who We played a very close game earlier in the year uh, during our homecoming, but uh, you know, was able to kind of avenge that loss. And then uh, you know, we hit the road to uh, Grundy Center uh, with – Coach Zajac uh, ended up making uh, the state championship game that year, I believe, losing to Regina, I believe. Uh, but uh, obviously, you know, just an, a tremendous program up there, tremendous coaching staff doing doing everything the right way, and and um, you know, just just a class act. In uh, and we had had some injuries as well. I mean, but even if we we were a completely healthy team. You know, that was we were on two different levels at that point. Um, but the success, you know, from that season obviously allowed me to to move to Des Moines Roosevelt, where I was a defensive coordinator. And then the following year after that, uh, Des Moines Lincoln 
head coach decided to move to Texas, uh, Coach Sinclair. He called me up and said, hey, you know, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but uh, I don't know if you've heard I'm leaving and uh, you'd, you'd be great to take over the program. I know that you do well by, you know, the South Side. And um, and I applied and went through the process and was able to uh, be fortunate enough to, to be selected as uh, Des Moines Lincoln's next head football coach after Coach Sinclair left for the state of Texas. So you are going into year two at Des Moines Lincoln. I'm going into year three at Linmar High School. Uh, we're both in 5A programs. We've both been in smaller programs. I was at Marion prior to this uh, for five years, uh, but I always kept my teaching job at Linmar in the middle school. Um, and that's a whole other episode that we could talk about being in district. But um, today we got a actually, I think, an appropriate conversation for what you and I just talked about, and that's taking over a program. And what's that like? There's a lot of different avenues to go down. So I think, you know, you and I talked, we want to, we want to talk about two, two parts of this process before you get the job, you know, what is it that you're looking for, you know, going into the interview process. And then after you get the job, I think there's some pretty specific steps, although the order in which can be done probably a little bit different. So, you know, when, when you're looking at a job, Dwayne, what are some things that you want to think about? before you even interview? Yeah, well, I think there's, you know, we all kind of have this mental checklist in our minds of things that we want to look at. And, you know, honestly, Tim, a lot of this stuff comes from conversations that we've had with some of the guys that we've had the opportunity and women to talk to um, in, on our, our podcast, you know, talking. I remember Tom Wilson vividly saying, that if you don't have the support of your administration, it's time to update your resume. You know, so I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that I, I tend to look at is what's the administrative support going to look like? Is athletics a priority for those schools or for that, that school that you're looking at? What's the, you know, and not just, you know, what they say at face value, talking to other stakeholders that have an opinion on Hey, does this principal or does this superintendent or does this activities director support, you know, sports, football in specific, because that is the sport that we coach. You know, those are things that uh, for me is kind of like the number one thing. And then there's some things that fall underneath that. What's the community makeup like? What's the community support you know, are they supporters of athletics? You know, if you need things, are they going to be willing to step up? You know, what are the, what's the student body population like? Is it, uh, is it a football school traditionally, or is it more of a, you know, some schools may be more of a baseball school, or maybe they're more of a, a basketball school. You know, some schools kind of encompass all that, but those are things that I think are, are kind of on that list to take a look at. And I, I think I think the first thing you said is right. What is the support like from the administration you're coming into? If you if you ask for something, are you going to be able to have a conversation and get what you need, um, or are you going to have the ability to do that? You know, how does the booster club handle fundraising? How do they separate out the funds? Um, are you able to get what you need? Who pays for the equipment? Um, you know, helmets and shoulder pads. There is not a more high dollar program in a school district than football you know, helmets and shoulder pads, and they only last for so long, they got to get reconditioned every two years. Um, and so who pays for that? Does that come from your fundraising or does that come from the school? 
You know, um, I've been fortunate in both my school districts I've been in that there's a safety budget that helps with that. But I know other programs are not as fortunate as that. I think another thing to think about, Dwayne, is who are you taking over for? Who's the guy that had the seat that you want or you're getting? Um, yep. And what was the perception in the community? How was it handled before? Uh, what was the success like or lack thereof? Um, are you going to be able to replicate that or are you going to be able to build your own brand? Um, I think all of which are valid questions. They're not necessarily a right answer, but I think it's something you need to be aware of. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, expectations going into a job. I think that's kind of what that falls under in the sense of what were the expectations or the standard that was set with whoever that was there before. And, you know, the, I've I've seen coaches that have, you know, taken over for, um, you know, legends as you would say in the, in the coaching world. And, and they have, you know, what you and I would probably consider, you know, great success, but, you know, speaking to people uh, that I know, like in the community, you know, they're still getting compared to the standard that was before and, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the world that that person has to live in, in the sense when they take over a program uh, from someone who, you know, had multiple state championships, you know, multiple deep runs and playoffs. And, you know, that's, that's his world that, that he has to. And then I've been, you know, in situations where, yeah, coaches have literally been chased out of town because they weren't very well liked. And, you know, like the next person that comes in, it's like the red carpets rolled out for them because, you know, they, they realize, you know, what it's like to have a coach that, you know, they necessarily weren't fond of. So they want to, um, you know, try to, give everything essentially the keys to the car to the next person. So like there's no excuses or no reasons why they shouldn't be able to be successful. But regardless of the community support, you and I both know that there's a lot of factors that go into whether a coach is successful or not. Coaches don't just forget how to coach or know how to coach if they're successful at some other place. And then they come to another school and aren't necessarily as successful so that's where these other factors come into play. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, you see it at all levels. Like, you know, a guy loses his job after averaging nine wins over a four-year run. And, you know, how, how does that happen? How do you, I mean, how do you, you know, have 36 wins in four years and, and lose your job? And it's because there's people that are finicky. And um, at the end of the day, there's only things that you can control that you need to focus on, right? I mean, I think as coaches, you know, that's what we sell to our players, you know, particularly in the moment or in a game or in the offseason or whatever it is, you know, they've got to be able to decide what it is that they want and what they can control and act in a way that's going to help them get that way uh, or get the things that they want. And so um, is there a priority? I mean, administration, that's got to be number one, um, you know, community support, parental support, player support. Maybe that's got to be number two. Right. I mean, because they got to buy into you. Um, your ability to fundraise, maybe that's number three, but I, you know, thing we haven't talked about yet is, you know, what's going to happen with the staff that's in place now? Um, how many guys are sticking around? How many guys are leaving? Who are you going to have to bring in? Will you be able to bring anybody in that you want? Um, I think that's a piece that often gets overlooked. You know, some guys want the job so bad, they forget to think about who's going to actually be working with them. And, and you and I both know, um, that having loyal team first assistance is probably one of the most important things that you can have in place as a football coach. And if there are two or three guys on your staff that are divisive, 
or they wanted the seat that you have, um, you know, you could be working from an uphill basis. Our, you know, our good friend Dwayne Orr talks about that. And um, he's not the only one that's been in that situation. And you've got some personal stake in that game as well. Um, we don't need to revisit all that, but you understand how important it is to have guys who got your back. And uh, I think, you know, that's that's an important thing to weigh. Uh, because if you can't bring anybody in that you want and you, you got the keys to the kingdom, it's not necessarily going to be driving a Ferrari. You might be driving a Yugo that, that <laughs> needs three tires. Right. Well, I think the, you know, the number one thing, you know, you do they even make Yugos in, anymore, by the way? Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think they do actually, but I'm old enough to know what a Yugo is. So a lot of, the, if right. we have any younger, younger listeners out there, they may have to Google it. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the number one thing is, you know, you and I have talked about this. I want assistants that uh, are eager and are w wanting to learn more than just, you know, coaching their position. I mean, they have that drive. You know, I, you and I think we've said this. We want, we'd love for all of our assistants to have aspirations to be a head coach eventually or when, when they feel that time is right. I mean, but I also at the same token, want them to do that, the job that they have and not try to, you know, one push, in, anyone one out. Out to push anyone out to get the job that right. I have. Right. And, you know, so the number one, you know, thing that I look for is an, an assistance is loyalty in yep. that sense. Are they loyal? And not just loyal to, to me as the head coach. I'm not, I'm not talking that I'm not trying to have a, uh, a big ego here or anything. I mean, but loyal to the program in the sense of, loyal to you know the kids that put in work you know the families that are a part of it our community you know i've had assistants literally you know prior to a game uh tell a, a parent that you know our team didn't have a, a chance in hell in winning and you know that parent came up to me after after the game and he's like well it's not a shock that we didn't win uh you know your coaches don't even believe it and you know so that's those are things that are just like um, you know, on the list of not things to say, that would be pretty high up on the list. I <laughs> or, mean, Hey, the head coach doesn't know what he's doing. You right. Should yeah. Right. I mean, so, you know, those are things that, you know, you, when I say loyalty, you know, you're loyal to the program, you're loyal to the plan that you put in, put in place because you and I, Hello. Yeah, man. Oh, <laughs> my uh, screen just went blank. Sorry. I apologize. No, you're good. Difficulties. Dude. But uh, uh, anyway, I mean, loyalty to the program is in the sense of you can have the best plan in place to game plan, knowing that you're going to be successful if things fall. But you and I both know, Tim, that, uh, you know, you can have the best game plan in place and still fall short. In the sense oh, yeah. of just because, you know, that team has better Jimmy and Joes than you got. Uh, you know, last year, for instance, you know, we played a lot of sophomores. We played a lot of younger guys. When you look at, you know, as a whole from DMPS, you know, we lost that COVID year. Kids played two games. So, mm -hmm. like, if you look at our seniors this year, uh, they played their freshman year. They played one full season of freshman football. 
uh, their sophomore year. Uh, they had it wiped out due to COVID for two games. So like a lot of them didn't get any JV games that were sophomores. Then their junior year, for instance, at Lincoln, uh, we had 26 seniors and most of them played. So a lot of those juniors that were now seniors this year didn't see a lot of field time. So you see the impact of one that one COVID year really wiping away a lot of football for those guys. So you know, this year we played you know, Valleys and Ankenies and, you know, they're facing teams that have just had way much more, way more field time than they did. And you, you could see that the deficiencies in there as well. So, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if we had, you know, Bill Belichick or Kirk Ferentz or whoever coaching Nick Saban coaching, you know, Lincoln at that point, you know, uh, you know, we, our kids fought and battled as hard as they could, um, you know, but there was still those different deficiencies between our players and their players. Sure. So that that's something that you would take a look at when you're when you're coming into a program for sure. Right. And so when you're going through this process of of looking to interview for a job or, or take over a job, you've we've identified a few things that guys need to pay attention to, you know, number one. You know, what's the support like? Who is the administration? Um, who is the person that you're taking over for? How does the school district handle fundraising? What kind of support is there from the community and the players? Um, and do you have guys that you can go into battle with, if, at least from an onset standpoint? Obviously, one of the biggest things in building loyalty is just creating relationships and building that through the process of being in the fire together, but understanding that these guys are team first guys. So if you have all that in place, Dwayne, then you go ahead and and let's just say you get the interview and you get the job. Yay. Now what? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah we now did a lot what? of background. I mean, so what's the first thing you got to do when you get the job, when you're taking over a program? What do you got to do? Well, I, well, for, I'm only speaking from my own experience here. The two things that I kind of put as 1B, 1B, or 1A, 1B, excuse me, is, I wanted to reach out to all the current staff and people who I was was planning on uh, bringing bringing in, because the number one question that I'm going to get from players when I sit down and talk to them is who are going to be the coaches. Mm. That's the number one question that I've always been asked, like, well, who's coaching? So I always wanted to have an idea of who I was going to be bringing in, who I was going to uh, be trying to retain. Uh, so the one thing that I did was reach out to the current coaches. Uh, either to let them know that either, hey, I'd love to have a conversation to see where your role is and how that would fit in with our program. Or number two, to say like, hey, I appreciate, you know, the the hard work that you, you've given the program, but we're going to go into a different direction and at least allow them the opportunity to start looking for something instead of like keeping them um, kind of dangling along and not knowing what's going to be happening. Uh, but then the, the next thing I want to do is I want to get in front of the team. I want to get in front of them. Normally, this has been a process. Some of them have been included in that process through, you know, the different types of panels that uh, you like I, for instance, had there was a community parent panel. There was an administration panel. There was a player, current player, former player panel. I mean, you know, the, now in the, the days of interviews, panels are the way to go, it seems, instead of just actually having a conversation with the principal and AD and saying like, hey, this is our guy. 
schools realize that there's there's too many stakeholders and they want to involve them in the process right wrong or indifferent i know you and i both have opinions uh, in regards to that but uh you know some of these players you may have met through the interview process and um you know i my biggest thing was wanting to get in front of the team yeah. kind of reassure them that we have a plan in place and this is the plan this is what our our off-season schedule is going to look like and let's get to work yeah, I think I think um, getting in front of that team right now to get your message out about what the program's going to be about um, is is vital. Um, the energy and, and excitedness that you can bring to a team that you know for whatever reason has a change, I think is is really really important because if the kids don't buy into you, boy, it's going to be really challenging to make make things work. And so, I, I would agree with you getting in front of them first maybe is most important to simplify the message and, and to really talk about building that culture the way you want it. Um, getting the staff on board, you know, quite honestly, can can take some time. It's, um, you know, being in education, being in um, school districts, hiring coaches doesn't happen overnight. You know, there's a process you got to get through. You, you might think you have a guy and then he goes through and applies and you get the DCI background and something shows up that you didn't know about. And and now you got to switch gears. Um, so I think I think the message to the players is most important right now. Um, and then you build your staff as you're continuing to meet with players. Um, I think an individual meeting with each player is really important. Um, we've been doing that at Linmar now um, for three years. And I think it's really important for kids to feel that what they what they have to say matters um, and how they feel about the program, how they feel treated. Again, not every kid is going to get the role that they want. That's just not life. But every kid can feel that they're a part of the process and they are important. And I think all kids need to feel that. Um, and everyone knows that cast system, you know, for the for the guys that maybe are the dudes and guys that want to be the dudes and guys that are, are really just glad to be there and, and want to have a role uh, in some sense. And so, um, you know, then then what's what's the culture like? What is it that you're looking for? What do you want to sell to everyone? You know, how do you work in the weight room? How do you create excitement? How does social media fit in? Um, and then when you talk about the standard, how do you make the standard the standard? Well, you just build a, accountability in immediately. And, you know, what do you what do you what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the you touched on, you know, on the sense of, you know, getting in front of your players, getting in front of uh, your team. And then I also same like you every year, we always do our individual, you know, player meetings as well to talk about goals. And, um, but I think that is a, a great point in the sense of building those relationships with those kids. Cause you can really start to see, you know, kind of where the, the rubber meets the road in the sense of who is really, you know, buying in or excited or has any type of desire to want to play football at a high level. And yeah. those individual meetings really, to me, are paramount in that. And then, you know, the way to continue to build that excitement, you know, is obviously, you know, that work in the weight room. You know, when yeah. when you're in that weight room and and seeing who's, you know, really getting after it, because we always talk about, you know, our weight room, we look at it no different than a practice. It is a practice that you're there to, you walk in, you know, where you're at, you should walk out absolutely drenched and sweat because you've busted your tail. You've, you've tried to get better. 
You know, uh, some coaches and programs talk about get 1% better, you know, every yeah. single time that you have an opportunity. You know, that's things that, uh, you know, we don't necessarily, you know, use that as, and say 1% better, but we're always like, don't walk in the same person that you walked in. You know, walk out better. We'll know that like you that. got better. Um, you know, so that that's our biggest thing. And then, you know, you know, getting in the weight room, building that excitement and other ways that you build excitement is, you know, whether you're taking over a program and you want to kind of put your stamp on it, you want to include the kids in this. You know, one of the things that we did this year um, going into, you know, year two is we redid the uniforms, you know, mm-hmm. and the kids had a say in that, you know, they had ownership <clears throat> in that. And, you know, you talk about expense and and this is where sometimes I think people outside of, you know, football coaches and maybe ADs and principals don't really understand how expensive football is in the sense of, especially if you're a program like, you know, that is not as fortunate as you and I that have to pay for their shoulder pads and helmets, not out of the the general fund, which is considered safety equipment. And they have to, you know, pay for that out of their, their football account. I mean, that's, that's a big amount of money just for that. And then you throw, for instance, uniforms on top of that. You know, we paid almost $17,000 in uh, a set of home uniforms this year. And it's no other sport in high school is like that. But football is by far the largest sport in the sense of the numbers that it has. I mean, so it's just a huge, uh, huge expense in that regard. So I wanted to touch on that as well because piggyback on what you said but you know so finding ways to build excitement you know whether it's having kids have ownership in things such as whether it's uniforms or new helmet decals or new helmet color something in that regard that's going to kind of bring them into the fold and then you 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 roll that out to the community and other stakeholders through your social media whether it's rebranding your social media or starting a website you know those are things that i think are, are pretty important yeah, and I think um, the one thing that you and I talked about before we jumped on here was, you know, we said simplify the message and and, and what is the culture that we want to build. Um, you and I have been a part of programs where every year we're kind of, okay, what's the message? What's the poster <laughs> hashtag this year? Yep. And uh, that that does get tiring. And it does. That it, really, I, it really does. I, I mean, it's just like you're always trying to find a something, you know, that's a hook to hook people in. And it's just like – why do we have to hook people in? Yeah, no, I think you you be about what it is that you want to be about. And you talk about that and that's what it is. So for us, both of us agreed that team first was going to be what we wanted our program to be about. Every decision is is made through that lens. Whatever's best for us, not me, not the player, not the assistant coach. Um, that's what we're going to be about. It's not the parents. It's not it's, it's not the administration. It's it's team first. And uh, we got that from Tom Wilson. I blatantly say it. I stole it from him, and so did you. <laughs> and um, but it, you know, when I when we talked to him, he was kind of doing the same thing, right? And he yeah. just kind of felt like yeah. this is getting tiring. And you know, so then we came up with some core values, um, you know, and and those have not changed. Right. And and then you know, if if we can trust a guy to be team first, we're going to call that cat an OKG, our kind of guy. And so there are really kind of three things that we talk about in our program, and it, and it doesn't change, and it's repeatable, and it's simple, and 
we're consistent with it. We have con- daily conversations. I like to say we have a daily fist fight with culture um, every time we show up some somewhere, whether it's we're all wearing the same gear, we're wearing the same socks, we're saying the same thing, we're running from one spot to another, whatever it is, if you want your culture to be a certain way, you have to be about it every single day with energy and enthusiasm. You really do. And one of the things that I've, I've said and is uh, whatever you allow to happen in your, you know, your program becomes your culture. And yeah. so if you tolerate, you know, people not meeting your standard that you've set, whether, and that standard may be, hey, we're all showing up to the weight room in the same uh, clothes and this, you know, yep. we're going to work out in the same shirt and shorts and yep. you know, that's going to be our standard. And, you know, you have kids that show up in, you know, flannel pants or slides or whatnot. And you're like, okay, go ahead. Um, you know, you're fine. Okay. Well then next thing you know, the next time you lift four kids are going to show up in, in flannels and slides because, well, Hey, you didn't say something to so-and-so last week when they did it. And so like you've allowed that to happen in your program. So that's the culture that you're building. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say is, you know, this is, this is a hard thing to be consistent in sometimes. And I like how you say it's, you know, daily fist fight because I mean, in all transparency, and it's not a big secret, Linmar is a very different school than Des Moines Lincoln, right? In the sense of, you know, the socioeconomics that go into it. And so there's things that um, maybe, you know, would be different if I was in a, a different school that was socioeconomically a lot higher than what, um, you know, Des Moines Lincoln is. And so like, there's things, for instance, like I want all my kids, just like, uh, you know, you and I talked about to show up in the weight room and the same stuff. Well, at, at Linmar, for instance, you may be able to, kids may be able to go out and buy like their own shirt and, sh- and short set. And um, we're giving them to them at Lincoln. And we're also yeah. collecting them, putting numbers, you know, in the short and shirt set and then washing them and hanging them back out for them because, you know, that's the only way I can guarantee when we step foot into that weight room mm-hmm. that they're all going to be wearing, you know, everything that we want them to wear, you know, whereas <laughs> maybe at Linmar, you don't have to do the, those types of things. I mean, so th- is that more work on like the coaching staff? Absolutely. It's more work. I mean, is it ideal? No, it's not ideal to be honest with you, but it's the things that we're, we're doing in that sense, that daily fist fight to get the culture that we want in our program. Well, and, and I think you know, we haven't touched on probably one of the more important pieces of building the culture and, and belief in the community. And that's the parents, um, mm. getting in front of them and selling your message to them and letting them hear from you about what it is that, you know, you're about what your staff will be about, what their kids are going to be involved in and how they're going to be coached. Um, you know, there's a thousand different ways to say the message, but I think as a parent walking out of a meeting, um, you would want to hear that your kid's going to be treated fairly um, mm-hmm. and and not not necessarily equal because there is a big difference in that. And, and in football, we like to call it the great meritocracy. Not every kid is going to be um, subject to equal things, but they will be subject to fair treatment. And, and um, being demanding without being demeaning, I think, is a standard that every parent needs to hear 
um, that their kid's going to be treated. You know, there's going to be accountability. And I, I'll be honest with you, if if I'm a parent and I hear that my kid's going to be challenged, he's going to be loved, he's going to be um, given an opportunity, but he's not going to be guaranteed anything. I, I I think that's all I can ask for, um, and and hopeful for everything else. And and you know, if my kid is coachable, then that's a reflection on me as a parent. If my kid is uncoachable and a an eye roller and bad body language and entitled, um, you know that. Maybe that's a me issue as a parent. And as a dad of three kids who have all been involved in sports in different ways, you know, starter, not starter, mid, mid-range, um, I've sat in player meetings. I've sat in or parent meetings. I've sat and watched from the stands. And it can be challenging um, as a parent, separating the coach, um, to watch your kid not get things that other kids get. But it doesn't mean my kid is being treated in, in, improperly. Um, and so I, th- I think why I love coaching football, and I, I'm pretty sure you feel the same way, is that we get to teach kids to be the best version of themselves and give their best effort in spite of how they feel. And that is a ultimate life lesson for me uh, to impart upon the kids in our program. And at the end of the day, if that's what they take away and they have some great memories from some great wins, maybe some struggles along the way, um, they're going to be better people, better men, better husbands, better, um, you know, business owners, um, better dads. Um, really at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it there in the sense of, you know, it can be frustrating when you, when you are that parent. I mean, but I think that's where, you know, you have to take a step back and understand that we don't know every everybody's situation. We don't know everyone's journey. And you have to put faith and trust in the coaching staff that's working with your children that they're doing the right thing and not just jump to the conclusion that, oh, my my son isn't as well liked or my daughter isn't as is as appreciated as much or um, they're treating this this player differently because of, you know, their dad is a lawyer in town or or whatever it may be, you know, I mean, there's always, you know, we hear, I'm sure you, just like I have heard every reason underneath the sun from, from parents, why, uh, you know, their child isn't getting an opportunity that they feel that they deserve. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I've always said, um, you know, my job as a coach, whether it's, it wasn't as an assistant coach, position coach, coordinator or as the head coach is this is where I see you as a player right now, but I need to, I need to get you here. And that's, that's where my job comes into play or as a position coach, assistant coach, coordinator, head coach, whatever it may be um, is so that that's where I need to challenge you where, and to get you to where you may not believe in yourself, but I need to help instill the belief that I have in you to get you to that position and yeah. to get you to where I see you as a player. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, football is just like the game of life. And there's a lot of things that are going to, you know, go right. And there's going to be a lot of things that go wrong and you're going to have challenges and struggles along the way, but hopefully, uh, you know, the sweat that you put into football is going to allow you to have some of that grit and later in life from the adversity that you're going to, 
to come across and it's going to allow you to, you know, be a better, um, be a better person, be a better husband, uh, a father. If those opportunities come down, uh, the pike, uh, for you later in life. And, um, you know, it's, you know, a lot of life lessons in football. You and I both have, have talked about that. And, you know, one of the things too, you know, I know that, you know, people who are listening are probably going to be like, well, geez, I mean, it's almost like you guys copy each other on everything that you do. <laughs> you know, we do team first, you know, a lot of the things that we've done. And, and, but I think that just is kind of a testament to like, we use, we constantly use each other as sounding boards to talk through, you know, even like issues that we have in our, in our programs, like, Hey, how would, am I handling this right? Or, uh, you know, if I'm not, and I think that's where, you know, our friendship has always been pretty special, uh, Tim, in the sense of, you know, we both have told each other, yeah, I don't think that's right. You know, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, because it's like, we can be honest with each other and be like, Hey man, I, I don't know if this is the right way to handle this situation. Right. And, uh, well, we and I think that's, Wayne, hold on one second. We come back from break. So we got to pay our sponsors. Um, yeah. We're going to continue this conversation and talk a little bit more about uh, social media and making the standard the standard and how to get some faculty on board. We'll be right back. We're back. Um, thanks for your listening to our sponsors, but uh, Dwayne and I are continuing the conversation of taking over a program. You know, right before we left, we were talking about really the lifelong value of football and what that looks like and talking to parents and uh, fair conversations. I think really at the end of the day, you have to be you um, as a coach. And and when I was a young coach, I I was always reading and watching and uh, trying to emulate, you know, what do other guys do? And I couldn't speak the same way as other guys. I couldn't say the same things as other guys. And I really had to work on finding my voice um, to say the message that I wanted to say. And um, being a head coach really takes you out of your comfort zone in terms of what do I stand for? What am I about? And what do I want my program to be about? Because really you are running an organization. You are running a business. And when your business is successful, um, part of it is you, part of it is the people that are around you. And part of it is the people that um, are underneath you, such as, you know, your employees, your players. And so when everybody's on board and it's a smooth sailing machine, man, things are great. But when it's not, you know, it, it's, it's tough. And so, you know, when you jump into a program, you have to stay on the gas from an accountability standpoint. Would you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I think that, um, you know, your analogy of a, a corporation and a business is spot on in the sense of there's, we've been, you know, we've both been a part of programs where we haven't won a game in a season. Those aren't fun. Yeah, No, they're not fun at all. Um, you know, but that didn't mean that you and I both didn't know how to coach and um, all of our assistants that we surrounded ourselves were, were knuckleheads or anything like that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of factors that that play into, you know, having, um, you know, those types of seasons. And, you know, the good coaches, you know, look at that and evaluate and try to not have to repeat those. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's, you know, there's a lot of different things that encompass, um, you know, success and success doesn't always mean state championships. 
No, I would agree. I think some of the best coaching jobs out there are, are teams that could easily be one and eight, two and seven, and end up being, you know, five and four or six and three. Um, and yeah, nine and oh, yeah, I, I would nine times out of 10. Yes, it's coaching and it's accountability and all that, but you got to have dudes to do that. And I'm not mm-hmm. taking anything away from anybody who's had successful programs. That's not what this is about. Right. Um, and, and a lot of programs have taken many, many years to get to where they want to be, but it's a consistent process. It's a consistent message. It doesn't get convoluted with, um, negativity or let that override certain situations. And so I think the thing that I learned coming into a new program, um, when I took over this job was how consistent and how challenging that daily fist fight for accountability and culture really truly was, because I, I would admit that. I probably let some things slide when I was at Marion that affected everybody. And um, I don't like thinking it like that. I, you know, I like to think that I had my hand on everything, but I, I think I can step back and go, man, I should have done a better job quicker of handling things that were um, getting away from me per se. And um, I, so I, I think when you take over a program, you have to be, fully vested in the knowledge of what you want your behavior in your program to look and act like, because if it doesn't to the point you mentioned earlier, what you, what you tolerate, you condone. And so if you tolerate not everyone on the same page, guys showing up kind of when they want guys, you know, not giving great effort in the weight room and you don't address it immediately. Well, that's the culture you're building. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the other thing that, uh, you know, comes into factor here as well is, you know, just, you know, some programs and some schools necessarily don't have the support from their administration to to set that standard Mm. like they they'd like to, Um, you know, and, you know, that's where it comes into, you know, going back to like when you look to take over a position that's something as well as like, is your administration going to allow you to build the type of culture that you want to build in your program? 100%. And if they don't run, <laughs> right? I mean, if they don't, if they tell yes. you what you need to do or don't allow you to hold a, a certain kid accountable or do things the way you need to be done, again, it's not about being demeaning. It's about being demanding. Um, then it's time to move, move away because um, you'll right. never get what you want. And that's, and that, I think that ultimately is a tough pill to swallow um, because I think so many guys are worried about being in our shoes. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm overgeneralizing here, um, but I know that when I wanted to be a head coach, I wanted to be a head coach and I was throwing my name into places that at the end of the day, if I look back now, boy, if I'd gotten that job, ugh, you know, <laughs> no thanks, right. you know, and um, things work out the way they worked out and I'm, I couldn't be more blessed in the situation I'm in. Um, and so I'm really glad that, you know, God closed some doors for me that I wanted open. And so maybe right. he was looking out for me like, Hey dude, you don't know what you don't know. And let's, 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 let's keep it on the tracks that you have on. And so, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I'm very happy where I am because of the things that have happened to get me where I am. And um, I obviously wouldn't be here without, tons and tons of support from many, many different people. You and I both acknowledge that. Um, when you, when you t- got into, when you got into coaching, Tim, was it, uh, you know, cause you got into it fairly quick after you got done playing, correct? 
Yeah, I got into college coaching right out of school, but yeah. I did that just for four years, and then I got out once I started having kids for a little while, and then got back into high school. Right, um, but but would you say that you got into coaching uh, to make an impact on on kids' lives? Yes, one hundred percent. I I had a great experience in um, my high school experience and college experience um, because of the coaches that were a part of and the players I you know got to know. Um, I wanted to emulate that experience for other young men. I wanted kids to walk away from the game of football, having played it, um, being better people and having just a tremendous amount of love for what they did and appreciation because of what the game gave them because of what they did. Um, and I didn't understand the enormity of it all, you know, when you're going through it, you know, um, I don't think you really truly get that until you've been out for a while and you've been doing kind of what we're doing and you see all of the different pieces that have to get into play and get connected, um, to just have a chance, um, to be successful. And then you also realize, you know, how fortunate you need to be, to be in great situations, um, and not take, take those things for granted. But like, I always talk about like when I got out of playing, um, my few seasons of arena football, like for me, my passion was football. Yeah. Like it wasn't really coaching. Yeah. Se. You love the game. I loved the game and I wanted to stay involved in the game. So my passion was football. Now, you know, almost two decades later, my passion is coaching. Mm. And so football is the vehicle that allows me to fill that passion bucket. But it's more about like when I got into coaching, I didn't understand. Like you kind of mentioned it. Like I didn't understand the enormity of what you were really taking on of like how you could truly impact um, players, even though I had very impactful coaches in, in my high school uh, career. One who was a, a guest of ours, Rich Apple. Yep. Um, Correct. You know, but I never thought that I could, I could be, be that when I got into coaching at a very young age, I was yeah. just like, Hey, I just want to, I just want to be around the game of football and, and, you know, just maybe learn some more about the sport that maybe I necessarily didn't know. And, you know, now as a head coach, yourself included in that conversation is just like, how much, <laughs> How much would you say of our day is actually X's and O's and actual football? Well, not as much as I'd like it to be. Amen. <laughs> I mean, amen. not as much as I'd like it. Hey, did you get a PO? You know, did you request a quote yeah. to get a PO? Did you submit that at the right time? Hey, yeah. you got, you know, what are you did doing you for get, fundraising this year? You know, <laughs> did you get hey, did you know that someone? Yeah. Yeah. Did somebody, do you know this guy got pulled over for a DUI? Hey, uh, you know, this, this, this person is, you know, messing around the classroom. Um, hey, you, speaking of the classroom, what, what's your thoughts on getting the faculty at the school you're in on board with, you know, getting the job per se? We haven't really well, talked about that. It's, it's big in the sense of, you know, I talk to my players all the time about like, you know, you have to build relationships with your teachers because at some point you're going to need them, you know, yeah, whether it's 100%. To, to cut you a little slack in the sense of like, you know, and you know, we do standards based grading. So everything, yep. you know, they can reassess. And I'm not sure if Linmar does that as well. Yes, but, they do. You know, so, you know, 
you're going to have to go to that teacher and, and maybe ask for a reassessment. And maybe it's not necessarily going to be on a timeline that they would want. But, you know, if you build that relationship and that rapport with them, that teacher may work with you a little bit more than if you're being a knucklehead in their class and, yep. you know, causing issues and and problems for them. You know, so yeah, I think bringing the faculty on board, like I always, you know, send a, a email to um, the faculty and try to, you know, let them know like, hey, we're going to be doing grade checks, even though like grade checks don't really um, affect football. You know, if a kid comes into the fall season eligible, they're next for at, at Des Moines Lincoln, the next time that they would be pulled out of a sport due to grades is after the football season's over. Mm. So, you know, I could I could approach grades in the sense of, hey, doesn't affect me. So, you know, I'm not going to check any grades or anything like that. But I also know that that's that's not what we want in our program either. And even though it's not going to affect me now and the now it could affect me next season. And so because if I don't keep my thumb on the on my players to be like, hey, grades are important. You know, you are a student athlete first, um, you know, even though it, it could benefit basketball or wrestling or whatnot or, or, you know, track down the road or baseball, it still affects football as well. And well, so, I, I think and I don't mean to inter interrupt you here, but I think right in line with what you're saying there, there's nothing that could do more damage for your program than to um, endear yourself with the staff you're working with to think of um, when they think of you, they think of a meatball football guy who doesn't care about grades. Right. Um, and I think I'm not saying you and I are do that. I, I, I would want staff to know that we are here to support them and we are fully aware that these kids are student athletes and that those, those grades need to happen before they get to, to get, get to be on the field. And, you know, for us, you know, that's what we would call an OKG. If you're getting it done in the classroom, man, that means we can trust you with things on Friday nights. If we can't trust you in the classroom, man, that, that makes our job really tough. Now, there's a difference between um, getting good grades um, and and not getting the grades that you want because you're not working. Um, and so if you're working and your grades are, aren't great, hey, to your point, I don't know any staff member that's going to say, screw you, I'm going to fail you because because I want to, if a kid comes right. in and is humble and can say, Hey, I'm struggling. Um, most staff members worth their way to salt are going to say, let's figure this out. I may not get you the grade you want, but you know, I can certainly help you through this process. And, um, and then again, that's where, you know, it, it, it takes a village to just run a program because you, you, you got to have those staff members believe in, in the culture that you're, you're trying to build, um, and accountability to me, grades is accountability. And, if if you can't hold your kids accountable in the classroom as a coach, um, at least to a standard, then, you know, I don't, I don't think you're doing your job. I agree. I, I think that, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, teachers and willing to work with, you know, students, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, and, I, and I'm a teacher first. Yes. You know, I, I wish, I, I wish that, you know, it, it you know coaching paid the bills but it doesn't yes. right i mean Correct. so uh yeah all i and i tell my you know students all the time all i want to see is effort let me yes. and your effort doesn't mean you're all a students your best effort is your best effort okay but 
if I see you in class on your phones all the time, or you know, you're sleeping, I know that's not your best effort at that point. You know, if you're not willing to pay attention when the, the teacher is talking and you're on TikTok or whatever you may be doing, uh, that's not your best effort. So if I have a student that comes to me and says, hey, you know, I need you to help me out here, and that student spent, you know, the previous class period on, you know, a game or a TikTok or whatever the whole class period, do you think me as the teacher is going to be willing to extend myself to that student when they couldn't, you know, do that in a class? And that's yeah. the message that I talk to our players about all the time is do do what's right in the class and the teachers will take care of you. They will make sure that, again, like to your point, it may not be an A effort student or grade, but they're going to make sure that, you know, you are in a situation where it's not going to be uh, detrimental to being held out or anything like that in regards to athletics. Agreed. And 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 then I think one last piece that we haven't really talked about, um, you know, because after we've gotten the job, we've talked a lot about simplifying the message to build the culture that you want, um, being in the weight room, being present, being excited, um, individual meetings with with players uh, and team meetings with players and parents, um, social media excitement and, and presence, um, getting your faculty on board. Um, I think there are two last things that, you know, you got to get your staff on board. You got to be persistent for the guys that you need for those team first loyal guys. And then and then the scheme, you know, get guys on board and and have a scheme that, that gets kids excited, um, at least in the way that you feel that you can teach and coach. And so, you know, if you're in a situation where you get some, you get to bring some guys in, uh, it's really, really advantageous. And if you're not, you know, how do you, how do you create staff, staff loyalty in, in that job? Um, because it can go sour real quick. No, it can. I, you know, unfortunately, I've been in a, a a position like that, and I think one of the the things that I do though, and I feel very fortunate right now. I have a a really good staff of guys like, who right um, there with you. Yeah, I know you do too, and it's uh, you know, I and I think if you asked any of if, of my my staff members, I don't micromanage. I allow them to own their their twenty square feet. You know, something that we've talked about in the past of you know, coaching their position or, or being a coordinator and and not, uh, you know, trying to to micromanage that. I certainly want to know the game plan, certainly want to know, you know, what's what's the adjustments this week and talk through those, as, you know, through our staff meetings and stuff like that and, and circulate during practice uh, and being present in different, uh, you know, position drills as well. But I'm not doing that to micromanage my, my coaches. I'm doing that just to be present and, and, you know, build that, you know, be a, essentially at that point being a cheerleader and, and cheering the guys on and, and pumping them up and, and pointing out something really good when I see it. And then if I see something, you know, where I'm like, oh, I don't necessarily like that, you know, talk to the player about that. And that's more probably honestly an effort thing than more than a technique thing. Um, you know, but I think it's, uh, you know, empowering your coaches to coach is the biggest way to build that loyalty and that cohesion in your coaching staff. Yeah. Feeling valued in, in their role. So guys aren't out looking for other things, um, that would be detrimental to, to, to you, you know, and, and so there's a delicate balance, I think, between, um, 
you know, letting them be the head coach of their position and being a micromanager. Um, and, and I think you hit it on the head. That's the last thing I want to do is I don't, I don't want to tell a guy how to do his job. That's why I hired him. Um, and, and so supporting them in any way I can, I think is very, very important. Um, the decisions they make, you know, drills that they want, uh, asking their opinion on things. Um, I I've been in, I've been on staffs where I was not, um, asked anything ever. Um, and that's frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. as an assistant, you want to feel, even if it's not decided on, you want to hear, you want your voice to be heard that, you know, why am I here? Why, you know, why did you bring me on board? I'll never forget my first job, um, in college. I, it was at uh, Lake forest. And I remember the guy hired me. He's like, Hey man, we're really excited. You come from a successful program. I can't wait to the, have you add some, some, some things to our staff and we'd be in staff meetings and he would never ask me anything. Uh, we'd be, you know, or I would, I would add something and he would immediately dismiss it. And yeah, no, mm-mm. anyways, you know, then he asked the same question just to the other coach who was in the room. And I just, I didn't, I, I hated that. And I, and again, it wasn't about me. It was just about feeling valued. And I, um, I, I, that's something I really, I strive to continue to get better at because I've been an assistant and when I feel valued, man, my, my role, I just feel joy and I just, it makes it easy to do my job. And so I think our job as coaches is to really press into our staff that number one, we need them. We love them. We value them and we're going to honor them and we're never going to backstab them. Um, in front of anybody. If we have concerns, we're going to talk to them behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point too. I mean, in the sense of, you know, I'll never go to another another coach about another coach. I'm going <laughs> go to go to that coach, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and talk to him. And I'm not going to voice my displeasure about a you know coach A to coach B. It's you know that number one isn't how a head coach should lead. Uh, number two, I wouldn't want the same situation in the sense reversed and coach a talking about me to coach B, you know, again, come talk to me. Um, you know, I think sometimes in this leadership in general, uh, you know, shy away from difficult conversations and they shouldn't. And when you talk about, you know, being valued as a coach, you know, when you look at it as a program, too, and running your your business, like you mentioned, that's what our players want, too, right? They want to feel valued. And how do we show them that value? Yeah. You know, I mean, and ultimately, that's that's we all want that. That's a that human connection piece to, uh, you know, being a coach is. We all want that. We all want to feel valued. We all want to feel, and and essentially when you say like feel valued, what are you saying? You're saying you want to feel loved, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, we, we, we say, we have a saying in our program. I, I don't know if you use it or not, but you know, love what you're doing, love where you're doing it. Most importantly, love whom you're doing it with. And, um, you know, we, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenging conversations. That, that, oh, that is not, uh, but it means that every kid is going to feel that they are a part of something bigger than themselves if they decide to invest. I, I would say that, you know, those conversations are challenging with kids who are, you know, 38% on the attendance, you know, in the off season, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, 50%, um, can't give great effort. Um, you know, always showing up right as you're starting. Um, you know, that comes back to that, 
you know, compelled, committed, committed. compliant, yeah. and uh, cynical standard that you know we've talked about. And yep. um, again, that goes back to the daily fist fight of building the culture that you want, fighting for it every single day. Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, you know, it's it's really special to be on this journey with uh, you know, even though that uh, we don't have the 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 fortune of being able to you know, coach on the same staff, sometimes it feels like we are because of this journey that we're on together. And I, and I know that, uh, you know, our coaching community, uh, you know, and a lot of the guys that we look up to and, and talk to, whether it's, uh, you know, for instance, like coach Elman up in Humboldt, who I know you and I, you know, both, um, you know, share friendship with and, and many others, uh, you know, across our state, it is a small circle and we all go through the same things and to certain things, maybe a little bit differently, not the exact same situation, but you know, I know that I don't have all the answers. I'm yeah. the first to admit it. And I know that you are as well. And, and it, it is refreshing. And I think this is why we do exactly what we're doing in the sense of, you know, talking about this on a podcast and, and, you know, COVID was a blessing in disguise in the sense of being able to, to pump out over 40 episodes of, of this podcast and talk to some amazing and outstanding leaders and not just football, but just in their respective sports or business that they, they run. And, uh, you know, I, I took things away from that, that I still use to this day. 100%, 100%. Well, let's, let's look at let's look at what we've talked about today, Dwayne. It's, we've been on, you know, an hour and 15 minutes goes fast. Um, but you know, <laughs> when, when you're looking at taking over a program, you know, you have to assess, um, the process before you actually get into the job, right? You, so what's the administration look like? What kind of staff is in place or will you be able to bring, bring in your own staff? Um, and how does that impact what you're going to do? What's the community like, What's the support like from the community, not just financial, but emotional and, um, you know, physical support through, you know, donations? What's the fundraising like? Um, do you have freedom to run your own fundraisers? Is it run through a booster club? Is the athletics department responsible for that? Do they, how do they house your money? Do they let you do what you want with it? Um, and um, who are you taking over for? You know, mm -hmm. so before you take a job, I think these are really important things to look, look at. And if, if some of those are red flags, then maybe you should press pause on, on hitting the submit button for your application. But once you get the job, you know, it's really important to get on board with those players right now and parents. You know, get those people um, to believe in the culture that you want. Make sure the message that you're saying is is simplified and it's culture driven and you are you are holding guys to that standard on a daily basis. You want to make sure you're in the weight room every day building that bond with those players, letting them know you're there and you're going to be there for the long haul. Then you got to get your staff on board, you know, guys who you trust and who trust you. Um, and again, you've got to be through the fire with those guys. Sometimes you don't know what a guy's like until it hit, you know, the bolts are firing figuratively on a Friday night and you see that, man, he, that's a dude that I want, or, Whoa, that guy's got some anger issues, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, making the standard of the standard on a daily basis, you know, creating excitement through social media and, and being in the district from a support standpoint with the, the faculty, not how can the faculty support you, but how can you support the faculty to get the, the players to be those scholastic athletes that we need in high school? Because we know that 96 percent of kids are not going to do college sports 
And so, um, if you can do all that and you can do it effectively, you can set your, your program off to a great path. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, all those things that you, uh, just kind of ran down again, that we, you know, talked about are, are all part of it. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the biggest, um, you know, thing is if you can really kind of dangle that carrot and get, you know, all those people that we talked about administration, uh, community booster club, parents, players, all to kind of buy into what you're doing. That's when you're going to see special things happen. And the way that you do it is through relationships, right? Yeah. Yep. Yes. And, um, let, let Dwayne and I kind of reiterate this by no means are we perfect. Do we have all the perfect answers? So what? there's what? probably so- what you're, no. you're not. No, I'm not. Uh, but oh, I know man. you are. I know you are. Yeah, I am far <laughs> from it, brother. Far from it. But no, um, we're not. Absolutely. I think I think as people are listening to this, if they do, hopefully somebody does. Um, they're taking something away from it and they're going, well, maybe I would add this, too. So if, if you want to be a part of this conversation, maybe we'd love to hear from you. Um, we're always looking for for coaches and leaders to give back, per se, with their experiences. So um we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen today. We know it's been well 995 days since our last podcast, so you may have forgotten who we are, but hopefully you've gotten a little bit better today in your life, in your leadership skills, and you're ready to move up and move on uh, to make your life the best version of it can be possible. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great night.